Welcome to another edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast, designed to uncover exclusive insights from the top people in high-performance sport. If you're new to the network and want to access 10 years of cutting-edge performance content, be it podcasts, articles, video insights, case studies, conferences, research, and more, and join a community of leaders in performance across all sports and all over the world, check out leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. My name is Jimmy Worrell, I'm the founder of Leaders, and this week it's a privilege to talk to someone I know and admire in the world of soccer, Mark Warburton. Mark is a rare breed in football. He didn't play at the highest level. In fact, he was quite mediocre by his own admission compared to some of the top level managers who played the game and now manage. So to make it, you really have to be special. Think Jose Mourinho, Arsene Wenger, Jurgen Klopp. But what makes it even more special for Mark is that he spent 24 years as a currency trader in the city of London and over in the US before making the leap into coaching within a professional soccer environment. In some ways, it was the perfect grounding for the pressures of football management. After all, it's male-dominated, highly competitive, it's high risk, and results matter week in, week out. Mark has managed at Brentford, Rangers, Nottingham Forest, and is now the manager of QPR, a once Premier League club, now operating in the Championship, one league below, but with aspirations to return. They've recently completed the season under very different conditions than they started, with no fans, back-to-back games, and rigorous testing and health protocols. Sandwiched in the middle, of course, was a period where there were no games and only virtual communication with the players. Mark, it's great to speak to you again. How how are you doing after a particularly tumultuous season? No, Jimmy, nice to speak to you and thank you for the kind words. Uh, it is, it's been a very challenging season and here we are, you know, we have a two and a half week break and the, the boys are brought back tomorrow to start pre-season yet again. So it comes around very, very quickly. And no time to go on holiday. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a very short period of time to recover and get back on it. And it's going to be a long season ahead. I wanted to jump straight in uh, by taking you back to lockdown because I wanted to explore some of the management lessons now that we're emerging out of it. And firstly, I'd like to ask you, Mark, what type of leader are you and how did that manifest itself during lockdown? I think for me, Jimmy, I, I like to think myself as the man management side of, of any senior position now is critical. I think the 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 way that the the young players have changed, you know, you talk about the the various millennials and Generation Z and everything else, how they learn, how they embrace new ideas. And and I've learned a lot about that in, in recent weeks, months and years. And I think it's how you manage these young players coming through, what strikes a chord with them. So I like to think that I, I can form good relationships with them understand what makes them tick for want of a more technical expression but also make sure that it runs parallel to a disciplined structure because as I say you have to have that discipline in place you have to have that framework that allows them to develop both individually and collectively so I hope very much my management style is one that you have good relationships you work hard with the squad honesty integrity and respect are key words for me and I hope very much it's a mixture of of old values and, and new understandings of of where the new academy players come from. You know, looking back, what would you have done more of and what would you have done less of during that time when you were sort of in lockdown with virtual communication with players? I think it's always it's always easy to review and, and look back and say we shoulda, coulda, woulda for one of a more, you know, say a more technical base. But the fact is, 
it was it was unprecedented. We use that term so readily, Jimmy, without really understanding the implications of it. So we were keen to make sure that we had constant, you know, clear communication with the players, but not overkill. So I would speak to the players a couple of times a week and then make sure the staff would alternate, making sure that the medical team had a really strong position at the forefront because it was a medical-based situation. So making sure that we reassured the players, the doctors and the physios. Um, it was making sure that analysis-wise, we got uh, learning tools to them, you know, clips on individuals, clips on units, clips on the team. And in general, I guess it's just making sure that we had a, a good balance of contact and information flow, you know, the programs of work that they had to do, Jimmy, in the in that lockdown period. Now here you have players who are used to team training, working together in the groups, you know, and everything that comes with it. And now they're doing a 5K road run, for example, um, and feeding back the data. So it's a, it's a very, very, everything was completely different for them. So get the balance right. And I hope very much we did that. You know, the results, I think many teams found the boys returning in fitter shape. And your obvious question would be, why is that? Well, they haven't gone away. They haven't been in hotels. The obvious attraction of drink and, you know, wrong food, wrong diets, etc. They've stayed in their bears. They've worked hard. And the benefit was most teams see players returning fit in terms of fitness levels, but obviously way down in terms of football fitness. Would you say that was down in some ways to the recovery and rest period that they had? Yeah, very much so. You know, that's a big part of it. And again, unprecedented, you know, to have you you finish your season mid-May, you're reporting back, as I say, probably third week in June to start what will be a six and a half week pre-season period with six games. And here we are with boys having 12 weeks off from March the 13th onwards. So again, it's it's all new. It, it can be seen very negatively, Jimmy, or it can be seen as a great learning opportunity by so many aspects within the football department. Uh, Mark, has it enabled you to slay any sacred cows across the club? I mean, processes or procedures that have been cast aside and won't be coming back? Uh, so-called, you know, unintended consequences. Yeah, I think it's a lot. A lot has come out, certainly, Jimmy, from that, and we've we spoke as a group of staff, and as I say, departments within the football department, so the medical, the analysis, the sports science, the coaching. It, it, you know, people have reviewed it, and we've had time to do that, which has been very beneficial. Um, you know, what what have we learned from this from this period? What can we do better? And most importantly, what have we learned that will positively impact us going into the new season? And the one overriding factor that has really clearly emerged has been the use of time. People get stuck in their ways. I used to work in, as you mentioned earlier, a banking community. And we would refer to the Japanese bank guys who would be there at six in the morning. They would be there at 10 at night, worn out. But their production value was was just about being seen to be there. So how better can we use time? And that's what we've learned. Players have come in so you know, I'll give you a basic example. Players would come in, they would sit in the dressing room, they'd have their breakfast, they'd have a chat, they'd do what they have to do and, and kill a bit of time. And then they have their activation, their warm up, their strappings. Now they're just reported to train. They've reported, they've had their temperature taken, etc. straight in. We've, max, we've, we've, we've maximized the use of time far better. And what I've learned is that as a group of staff as well, look at your day, your working day, and how can you maximize every minute? Um, you know, so typically staff sit there till five o'clock watching a game or watching a player and then leave to hit the M25 in rush hour. Why didn't that person leave at 2.30, get home by 3.15 and then watch the game at home? And we we save 
as a, as a club, as an individual, maybe an hour in traffic. So we get an hour more production out of the staff member, but it's and everyone wins. So it sounds very basic, but I think that maximizing every minute of every day for us is a is a is a way we're going to improve ourselves going forward. That's certainly a culture change, isn't it? Because in, in the world of football, it's fairly macho, isn't it? And, and you know, you, you like to be seen to be uh, totally committed, and that commitment usually comes in the form of the number of hours that you put in. But I'd be interested to know, Mark, if you're saving some time with the players, if you're freeing up some time, how are you using that time with the players, or are the players allowed to sort of separate from the club so they actually just gain more time back? We we spoke about looking at a player driving through the gates in the morning, Jimmy, and when he leaves in the afternoon. So have, have what have we done? with that individual player through the course of the day to make him a better player, a better individual. So are we utilising the analysis? So you may have a generic group analysis session uh, on our pattern of play, for example, and it might last 12 minutes. But can we then get a further 13 minutes in on his individual positioning? Refer back to last season, showcase against examples of you know outstanding players, what we can do better. So it's just saying, right, we've added 30 minutes of individual analysis time there Gym work, can we, uh, the individual specific programs, you say someone's body fat might be 1.2% too high and his muscle mass too low. What are we doing to put that individual program in place to correct that issue or that resolve that problem? And I think what this lockdown has done is allowed us to fine tune the work that we do. A lot of good work, of course, goes on at many clubs up and down the country. But I think it's allowed us that, that real clear, crystal clear fine tuning to make sure we can improve performance on the back of it, Jimmy. You know, it's a, it's a nice segue into um, sort of u- the use of resources in a club because obviously the the pressure on resources now it has grown, obviously with the financial pressures on the clubs. Uh, and when it comes to you, your support staff, I, I'd be kind of keen to understand how do you get the most out of them and how do you, what do you need from them in terms of skill sets? And, 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 and another question really is, how, how do you make sure that they're challenging you? I mean, how do you squeeze as much value from your staff as possible? I'm a, I'm a huge believer in this, Jimmy. And, you know, uh, again, a lot of lessons that I learned from the city and, and some of the people I was very fortunate to work with. And it's all about the environment that, that they create. So we would talk about a dealing room environment. And was it conducive to, to the best way of producing profit, obviously, in a bank? But I look at it and say, you know, can we create an environment that is most conducive to learning and development for the players and the staff? And, and I think the good, the right staff want to be challenged. The right staff want to be held. They want to be given responsibility. And with that responsibility, Jimmy, they want to be accountable. You know, you can't say, oh, I want to do A, B and C, but hey, that's not my fault. So no, the, the, right, the right people embrace, embrace a challenge, embrace responsibility and accountability. So I always look for staff that, can, can meet those criteria that thrive in that type of environment. I'd always, always have leaner rather than fatter, you know, two rather than three if it's a right two. Um, and I've always gone down that route. And I think everyone benefits from that and the right can, people can, thrive in that. Can, can you explain that a little bit more? In terms of what leaner than fatter you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I just think I, I look at some businesses who are, are top heavy with staff and, you know, what his job is that or her job is that. But he, he or she mustn't, mustn't broach that area because that's his, his area or her area. And I look at it and say, well, I'd far rather have people that assume that responsibility, you know, and, and they, they embrace it. They recognize it. They're proactive as opposed to reactive. 
And I hear these words so often. They're almost throwaway words, but words are cheap and, and actions always speak louder to me. So for me, it's I, I look at people and I've been very fortunate to, to work with some good people. I've employed some really good people. Um, it won't help me. I'm, I'm QPR manager, but I'm talking about Brentford. But many of the people we originally hired are still there now. You know, I saw them in the playoff game against Fulham and that gave me a great deal of pride that they've, they've come in there and they're still there. They're doing a magnificent job. So you get the right people. They, they want to put, they want to be pushed and they want to push you. Uh, and that's part of your question, I know. And they're constantly challenging. If I turn around and say, I want to do this, I want to hear the people say, why? Why are we doing it? I don't want to say, okay, boss, I don't want that. I, I want to know, they, they should be questioning what's your thinking behind that because they may well have knowledge, experience, or contribution to make that can make it even more positive and more beneficial. So you know, I don't want yes people. But again, Jimmy, I come back to that old one about respect. It's how you speak to people. I've, I've got no problem with a player coming to me and saying, oh, Gaffer, that session was poor this morning, and me talking through it. But don't come in and say, cool, that session was awful and effing blind and then anything else. I don't want that. It's how we talk. And, and that's all part of the environment. I just spoke to my The best boss I ever worked for always demanded that level of respect and integrity. And that's the biggest lesson that I could take from the city was to create that environment where competitive animals feel free to thrive and, and really, really um, develop moving forward, if that makes sense. It does. It makes absolute sense. And it's interesting because I think uh, there's definitely been over the last sort of 10 years, and we've seen it with the Performance Institute as we've grown, is the number of people, support staff around the sort of key person at the top of a, a team or an athlete. And the, the sort of feedback we now get, uh, the trend is kind of moving back a little bit towards becoming leaner because of the inefficiencies. And sometimes you've made a really good point about communication because sometimes the communication is lost when there's too many people around that player and you've got more chance of controlling it when there's less people around the player. So um, there's definitely a trend that's moving back for sure. You've brought through talent everywhere you've been uh, and you've made lots of money for your clubs as well, Mark. How has the, the, the challenge of developing younger players evolving? Interesting question, Jimmy. I mean, again, you need to have that raw product. You know, people, people say... We, we had a school at Harefield. We worked with, very close with Harefield Academy. We were back at Watford. And we were the first club in the country to develop this full-time combination of academic and sporting achievement. We had 55 boys in the school, uh, and it was a fantastic project. And many of the boys are playing full-time league careers now. So it was really, really pleasing. But you had to have the quality of board products going at the bottom end. You know, and I was never being rude about, about an individual or a boy, but if the product's going in is just, it's just average, you're only hoping to get good at the top end. So it's, it's, it's finding that basic raw commodity and seeing, you know, be it the scout, be it the young coach, be it or whoever it may be, you see that development potential within the individual, Jimmy. So that's always key. Now, of course, you're talking about players older and impacting first team, and you're looking for certain traits. You know, how do they respond to a mistake, for example? Do they shy away? Do they respond very positively? And it's, again, very basic comment but a key indicator of, of confidence and, uh, and belief and desire. So I just look at it and look at the young players and watch how they train. Do they enjoy going to work? That's, uh, again, very, very basic. But you want players who, who love walking the gates in the morning, are keen to play, keen to learn. And they're the ones we look for. And all the players, thankfully, that we've been associated with or had, a, had the pleasure of working with, 
I've always displayed consistent consistent traits, Jimmy. So, you know, every coach, every scout, every manager will give you different personal ideas of what those traits may be. But there are certainly consistencies and that hunger, that enjoyment, desire to learn, passion for the game, reaction to a mistake, dealing with criticism. All of these various traits uh, are, are ones which you have to understand and put into place. But go back to your earlier question about learning and, you know, the, how are the young guys learning? And I, I was very fortunate to attend one of your conferences about Generation Z and, and how they work. And a lot of that conference stuck with me for a long time. I took it back to my staff because it's how those young guys learn. And these are now the academy boys leaving the under 18s, 19s, 23s and impacting the first team now. Uh, and we have to understand how our traits overlay and sit alongside their pattern of learning. What is their pattern of learning now, Mark? I mean, it's obviously very different, I would imagine, given social media technology, given the way the world has changed over the last sort of 10, 15 years. But, but how do they learn? But yeah, it is. It's a great question. They, you know, I, I, as I said, I took a lot from your session. But again, they they look at it now that their time span, their concentration span, their level of communication, and how they communicate is so very, very different. Their aversion to public criticism. You know, you think back to football. I'm sure the people you know in the game, Jimmy, 20, 20 25 years ago, the, the kick, bark, and bite, and everything else that, that was commonplace then, the ordering code has changed completely. Now you have to work with them. You have to cajole them. And and that's just the way that the game has changed. And I hear people bemoan the fact that it's, we've, all, we've all gone soft. No, we haven't. We've just adapted as a society. We've changed as a society. And it's the dinosaurs that don't change will be the ones that are left behind. You know, it's I, I hear that old saying about those reluctant to change will be perfectly suited to deal with a, a society that no longer exists. And, and I, again, these certain sayings are stick in your mind because it's so, so true. So, so true. And we have to make sure that we understand that our our key principles, our key philosophies stay in place, but sit alongside and work comfortably with how these young guys and also the girls, of course, how they learn. Uh, and it's, as I say, I think we both sides have to keep on learning. Fascinating. What about like sort of integrating the, the, the sort of younger players into a dressing room with more experienced players who who may be a little bit more old school and may not necessarily have the same sort of reactions or insecurities as the younger players. How do you manage that sort of very, very uh, sort of balance between the two sort of sets of players? I think that's that's one of the, 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 the skills of the manager and the management team and the directors of football in, in terms of how you assemble a squad. And, and I hear a lot of people say, Oh, we're looking for a right wing or wide right player. We need a full back. Or, and that's the obvious side. But then it's finding the player that A, fits your, your player profile from a technical and tactical perspective, physical perspective. But how does he fit into your dressing room in terms of the characters that you have within them? Do your sen- The roles of senior pros, for example, the mentoring role is so vitally important now. So for a club like QPR, where we have a, a number of young players coming through, players that might be released by top six Premier League clubs that are dealing with disappointment, coming to a different environment. You rely on those senior players to mentor, to welcome, to discipline, to, to just to guide them, absolutely guide them. And, and as coaches and staff, of course, you're there to do the same. But there's no more powerful message than coming from a, a senior player who might have played 10, 15 years in the Premier League, for example, internationally, uh, and understands exactly what they're going through. Because he will have been there. He will have been there and understand their their 
concerns and their worries and their frustrations. So, as I say, the, that mentoring role in creating a squad, that the, the recruitment of a senior player, the right senior player, can be so beneficial, Jim, if you get it right. You know, on, on to recruitment, because um, I'd like to just explore this a little bit more, because I, I, I guess when you were uh, on the trading floor, one of the sort of key components of a trader, I guess, is confidence and being able to weigh up risk versus reward. And it's said that the default position in sports is optimism, uh, an assumption that things will get better, be fine, whereas in trading, it's pragmatism. So I'm presuming you're quite methodical in weighing up risk. And how do you recognise and identify your own biases and account for that? No, it's, as I say, it's lessons learned in the city. And people, can, you know, people ask me what lessons I learned. And the obvious ones, Jimmy, are to talk about communication, teamwork, competitive nature, bonuses, example. But for, for me, I have, to, I have to look at it and think about, well, you know, when you recruit, if we're in a market of, and I'm, I'm using this very, very respectfully, if we're in a market of the top six Premier League clubs, then you're looking at players 40, 50, 60, 100 million pounds, whatever the figure may be. And as I say, it's a different level of recruitment. When we, at our level, and we recruit, and again, very respectfully, we, we know that there's, there's going to be flaws in players. You know, I hear someone, a scout say, oh, he doesn't do this very well. No, he didn't. But if he did, he'd be on 50 grand a week and we couldn't get near him. So it's understanding that you're not going to get a top-class international. There's always going to be parts of the game. And that's what we as coaches have to try and improve. So the question, therefore, becomes, we know the risk inside this player. He's a good character, physically powerful. His playing record is very good. These are the areas of concern, perhaps technically or tactically. Is he, therefore, is he the type of individual that we can work with day in, day out to improve that weakness? And if he's currently a 4 out of 10 in that area, can we get him to a 7 out of 10 or is he never going to get above a 5? And that's a decision of the the, the, the staff, the manager, the re- director of football, etc. In terms of recruitment, they're so using that risk-reward analysis to say, do we think we can help this player and do we think he can benefit our team if we work with him? Is he going to impact us six months down the line? In which case, make sure the media message goes out to our fans. Here's a project almost. We're going to work closely with him. Delight to have him on board, but look forward to seeing his his um, end product in six, nine months down the line. At least we're now gearing up, not putting unnecessary pressure on a player with the expectation of fans. And it's all this, all these various strands, Jimmy, come into the question is, should we sign that player? And it's far more than, than people realise. Mm, it's very interesting. Well, sort of in this period now, post-COVID, have the psychological demands on players increased? And as a result, has that changed the way you look at potentially recruiting players? How do you mean? I mean, it's, it depends how you take that word psychological, Jimmy. So are we talking about dealing with the empty stadiums and, and everything that comes with COVID? Was that the reference to the question? I think, I think yes. I think, but as, 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 uh, as, as, you know, the pressure uh, seems to to grow on on these young men you know yeah. uh, you know they're more in the public spotlight i mean a 14 15 year old player in the liverpool academy will be well known by all the fans because they'll be watching him play and and so i'm just interested like layer on top of that covid and the sort of mental pressure that's brought on players the, the, the need to be self-disciplined, uh, the, the need to um, understand what, how important their role is in, in sort of keeping football surviving, um, I guess. And, I, and really what I'm trying to understand is, do you, 
do you look at players differently now and think, well, actually, the psychological strength and resilience is more important than it was before? No, so it's a fantastic question. I say that generally because you look at it now and say, um, let me come at a different angle, Jimmy. What, what has COVID bought? It has bought uh, a complete change to the financial landscape. It has meant that many clubs outside of the top Premier League tier are going to face real hardships. You know, we've lost one or two clubs. Uh, and when clubs come out of furlough, we could lose a host more. Uh, I've been quite vocal in saying I'm very concerned that the, the football pyramid, of which we're all so proud, has never been under so much pressure. So we've got to make sure that we, you know, we filter down and make sure we evenly balance the distribution of wealth, albeit slight changes, to make sure we keep we keep good clubs in place. But what what's the result of that? It means that we're probably going to have 1,500 players looking for clubs. So that adds a pressure, another level of pressure on young players. So the Premier League, as I say, you're talking about a slightly different level of player. But outside of that top 20, you've got 72 clubs, 71 clubs, whereby players have that added pressure of fighting for their place, recognising potential pay cuts or deferral of wages, and now knowing that, as the, the, that their owners or their, their, their bosses have numerous players to potentially choose from. And the players who may be so desperate for work, they come in on cheaper wages, cheaper costs, and that may drive the decision of the recruiters. So I, I think I'm looking at players saying, have you dealt with the, the demands of COVID in terms of everything that's come with it, the empty stadiums, the pressures, etc., the expectation of fans to get back? Uh, how are you dealing with the pressure of more people being available on the street? And I think it was Gary Neville who very wisely said that some players now need to learn a second trade. You know, realise that the, the game is changing. And if, if, the, if we don't dig ourselves or don't come out of this successfully for many clubs, they're going to have to have a second trade to fall back on, which adds an unbelievable level of pressure, Jimmy, on players already in a, in a highly competitive environment. So I hope I haven't avoided your question. I just look at players now. I know they're dealing with so much. Uh, and, and our job as managers, coaches, directs of football is to make sure we offer a support network which recognises those pressures and, and does as much as possible to try and allay and, and deal with them for the player. It sounds a lot harder in the future if you want to be a footballer, certainly in the lower levels. It sounds, it, I say lower levels, but professional levels, maybe tier, you know, perhaps tier two, three and four. But it sounds as if it's going to be a, a harder profession. And if that's the case, do you think that there'll be less players trying to be professional footballers? And do you think the standard will fall in the future? I think we always we all recognise the, the impact of football globally. It is the global game for a reason. Uh, and we look how it's taking off. And we look at the MLS, a market that you know, you'll have known, go back to days of Pelé and Marsh and Beckenbauer and the mistakes they made and where the MLS is now and, and how it's growing and billion-dollar franchises. And the game is going to get bigger and bigger. And we, we know that. But as I say, I think it's going to get harder and harder. I do fear that the young athletes have more choice now. So I look at the impact and the strides made by rugby union, for example, in the UK to attract those young athletes. So we know, for example, that, I don't know, take a George Ford in rugby, we, on our own foul. We know that these are athletes. We know they have great hand-eye coordination and ball skills. And I'm sure at the age of six, seven, eight, they could have chosen any number of routes to go down. And football has to maintain that appeal, that attraction to make sure wherever possible, Jimmy, we get the best young talent coming into the game to then benefit from the academy coaching structures that we that we have in place. And that we have some outstanding academies, some outstanding young coaches, which we should be very proud of. 
Uh, but we have to make sure that raw, go back to my earlier comment about Harefield, get the best raw talent coming at the bottom end to give us the best chance of producing world-class talent at the top end. Assume your son is on the verge of making it as a professional player. What advice would you give him? Funny enough, my son was in the game. Not now, but he was in the game from academy at 10, at Watford, 9, 10, right the way through to be a young pro and at Watford and Leicester and whatever else. Um, and then he went and played in, in Canada overseas. So he knows it. But my advice is the moment the enjoyment goes, Jimmy, for me, that's the key. I don't want to sound too basic. But I referred earlier to making sure the players enjoy coming to work. And and that's key for me. You know, if you work at Leaders, make sure you enjoy what you do. If you're a bricklayer, enjoy what you do. There's got to be a passion for your work. Uh, If there's not, the quality of end product will will obviously be diluted. So uh, my advice to him would be to, you know, hard work underpins everything we do in whatever trade. But that enjoyment must always be there. The recognition of good days and not so good days. But the moment that enjoyment goes, Jimmy then I think that's a really big signal for anyone. Mm, yeah, no, great, great advice. Just looking at yourself now, Mark, I mean, you, you seem really, really curious manager, coach, uh, someone who's acquired skills as they've gone through the game. And if you could acquire another skill, a new skill from now to help you become a better manager in the future, what would that skill be? This is a really basic answer. Language. Ah, language. Okay. I hope that doesn't sound too basic, Jimmy. And it's no, an not at all. Not but at all. I, I just, I just look back now, and if I could, and someone asked me a few, few weeks back, what would you have told Mark Warburton back at? I went to a really good school, um, a grammar school. I was very lucky. You know, those days when you come out with your ten O levels and whatever, I was the only guy to leave to go and play professional football at Leicester. But I, I was very lucky to be good at language. Uh, sorry, good at maths and English, which held me in good stead for the city. But I, I. I Basically, um, I let myself down in terms of language, and I wish very much now, you know, the, the, be it Spanish, be it German, be it Italian, I wish I'd taken the the time and the effort, and, and in the city as well, which was so full on, we had a very very spare, very little spare time, but I wish I'd taken the time three four hours a week just to learn that language. And um, as I say, it's a probably a very basic response to a good question, but that would be my one thing I could have told myself. Is that something that you you, you still feel you can change? Yeah, it is, and I, you know, I, I tried to do it in the lockdown. And in fact, one of our, one of our young players, or two, my daughter works in football, and, and she's done her Spanish, and she's now fluent. And, and again, I'm very jealous of that. And she told me about her tutor, and I gave her tutor to one of our young, very talented young players. And I'm very proud that he's doing it now, and has, has held the classes down and done it for the last few months, and he's getting on really well. So you know, it's, it's something that you, of course you can do, and, and it's. It's not me being lazy, just demands on time at the moment are such that if I want to commit to something, I want to commit to it properly. I'd, I'd hate to start it, Jimmy, get four weeks down the road and cut my classes to one a week and, and just make a token gesture. I, I'd like to commit to, it, commit to it properly. So if I was to sort of think about you, and I think you're curious, you're keen to learn, you lean forward, you lean into stuff. And I think that's been one of the reasons why you've been successful, but... I think for a lot of people, they're not sure where to get that inspiration from and, and every day's a learning experience. So where do you get yours from? Well, for me, Jimmy, it was, as I say, making, making the move from the, from the city was one of passion, knowing what I wanted to do. You know, I had a long time in the city and I was very lucky to be well rewarded and, and a senior position and a good reputation. Um, not in an arrogant way, but I'd, I'd built a reputation of being good at my job. But I, I followed my passion, and the passion was always to to pursue this in sport. And I never knew 
uh, at what level. I just naturally presumed it'd be with youth. I naturally presumed it'd be with the younger players because I had no, you know, Frank Lampard, Stevie Gerrard, you know, Wayne Rooney type of background. I was a bang average conference player. And I knew that, but I, I had that passion for it. But I, I, I couldn't go out of a job, Jimmy, that was really responsible. We had you know, billions of dollars turn up every day and massive risk and reward. I couldn't go from that type of responsibility and accountability to just being a, a, a normal, regular coach who turned up, did a job, went home nine to five. That was never going to fulfill my, my, my real passion and my desire. So it was a case of, of understanding how, how could I pursue my passion how could I have a positive impact? And everything I did was just geared towards towards that aim of, of making sure I enjoyed what I did, making sure I enjoyed every single day, but making sure I just pursued it. And I, I can't I can't leave something, Jimmy. So I, you know, when I I didn't know about badges, for example, coaching badges. Come back from the States, suddenly learned about them, lit the blue touch paper. So I'm on my level one and two quickly. I'm on my level three quickly. If I'm doing my level three, I want to get up to my level four, not to bypass valuable coaching time but knew that I had some knowledge experience that I could use to fill gaps and, and push forward. So it was always making sure that I'm, that I'm very impatient, Jimmy, to keep on pushing forward and, and keep on in hopefully making a positive impact. But never, I'm always appreciative of the fact that some things just take time. Sometimes it just takes time to learn, to bed ideas in, to understand philosophies or different aspects of the game or the business. So it's I hope very much that my knowledge of what I learned in the city allowed me to to recognise when that balance between time and impatience is really clearly needed. You know, when you walk through the sort of onto the field for the very first time and you're in a professional coaching environment, I think it was at Watford, wasn't it, when you were managing the youth, youth yeah. team there? Yeah. What was going through your mind, Mark? Because it must have been, you must have felt even more inexperienced in some ways than the players you were coaching. Yeah, but I also got, I'd played the game and I'd done a lot of coaching, Jimmy, around the world and, and, and I didn't realise at the time, as I say, about badges. So what I was doing was making sure that the the participants, be it, you know, we had, I, I, I was in Charlotte doing a, I, in Charlotte, I think I did the bank team. I did a local village team. I did an under nine girls team. I helped out the high school middle team or the middle high school team. And I did some work at UNC. So I'm coaching a variety of boys, girls, levels, you know, standards, etc. So I, I did all of that. So I, I was quite comfortable. Then when I did my badges, I was quite confident, not in an arrogant way, but probably through the responsibility of the city. I wasn't going to cow down to something. I always felt that I was viewed by some as a bit of an outsider because I never had that playing background. But that got me angry. It didn't get me... Uh, I didn't shy away from it. I didn't cow from that. Not in an, again, not in an arrogant way, Jimmy, but I, I wasn't. Gonna, that, that didn't bother me in the slightest. The only way to prove someone wrong is to go and show what you can do on the pitch, on the field. So I always quite enjoyed that any doubt or, or lack of belief. I, I quite enjoyed that. But your question about the first pro one, I was going to the academy at Watford. I was made academy director by Eddie Boothroyd and I'm coaching all the age groups. I'm doing the youth team. I'm access to the reserves. But the real test came when Matthew Benham called to, to come and coach the Brentford first team. They were 18th in League One. Um, he had removed the manager, changed the manager, Andy Scott, and asked me to come in. And I was literally up all night searching through the names of the squad to make sure I knew the individuals. And then I just gave a session. I thought, make sure they enjoy it. And that's what we did. I just made sure they enjoyed the session. And the feedback was great. And you go, you know what, this is, this is okay. I can do this. Um, and it, was, it, it was really was just that moment of reassurance that actually I'm fine with this. You know, as, long as, a boy, as long as you show good subject knowledge, as long as you're organized, as long as you speak to boys respectfully and 
you're disciplined and everything we spoke about earlier in our chat, Jimmy, as long as all those various aspects are in place, then, then the boys can learn. And it was as simple as that. Mark, you're a man on a mission. How do you switch off? No, it's not. I, I, people say about switching off. I think you just got to enjoy what you do, Jimmy. I, I, and <laughs> I've, I've watched you work. I've watched you work and, you know, flights to different cities and hour meetings and you fly away again. And again, you can talk about the work-life balance, but you've got to enjoy what you do. That word enjoyment keeps coming out in my, in my vocabulary all the time because the moment you lose that enjoyment, you question, why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? I want to go and play golf today. Why am I doing this work? But it's, it's got to make I just enjoy what we do. I enjoy working with good people. I enjoy watching players or individuals learn and develop. I get a lot of joy out of uh, relationships in terms of chat to players and staff and understanding what makes them tick. And I like to think that I can contribute in various aspects of being in football or business. I like to think that I can I can make a, a contribution, albeit small. So I, I just I just enjoy what I do, Jimmy. So as long as that continues, you know, I'm very, very keen to, I'm always, we live once. So I'm always keen to, to push forward and, and, and experience uh, or enjoy new experiences and push boundaries a little bit. Mark, you've all, I've always been taken by your passion and, and, and long may it continue. I, I want to, you know, thank you for your time and passing on your experience and advice. I, I'm sure you've helped hundreds, if not thousands of listeners be better leaders, coaches, managers, and I wish you uh, the best of luck for the the season ahead. So thank you again, Mark. No, we really appreciate Jimmy. Kind words. Thank you for those. And it was nice talking to you. So that's it for another episode of the Leaders Podcast. We've built up a bank of interviews and incredible insight with some of the top performing international coaches and GMs, which you can find on the Leaders Content Hub, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred platform. And once again, don't forget to access the full range of content, the network and the learning by visiting leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. And a quick heads up, if you are interested in performing under pressure or the, the future of high performance, both will be covered in our upcoming virtual roundtables. Just visit the My Account page of your membership and reserve your spot. Thanks to the team for pulling these podcasts together behind the scenes. And once again, thank you to Mark Warburton. Until next time, stay safe and keep thinking. Speak soon.